0: Father, uh, again, we come to the subject of submission, and today we'll look at it in uh, the context of marriage, and uh, Lord, it's, uh, it, it seems to be a difficult calling or a hard calling to, to, for us to submit to one another, but Lord, we know that that uh, you promise in your word that if we do that, that uh, Lord, we'll, our marriage will be uh, so much better, so much uh, uh uh, so much in your will if we submit according to, to your order, Lord, the way you've set things up. And Lord, when we learn these lessons on submiss- submission, Lord, uh, we, we have a great example in our Savior, Jesus Christ, who, who submitted everything he had. He gave up his dominion in heaven to come to this earth and to die for our sins. And Lord, he set that example for us to follow, and in every area of life, Lord, we honor you when we submit, when we put others' needs above our own, and that's what you're teaching us through this, Lord, so even if there's people in here who aren't married or don't ever plan on getting married, Lord, uh, there's still lessons here for them, and and Lord, I, I think the greatest lesson is that, that uh, uh, we, we want to follow our Savior and what he's done for us, and and in doing so, Lord, to, to win some lost souls to, to your kingdom. And, and, Lord, we win them a lot more by our actions than we do by our words. So we just thank you for what you're teaching us here. And I ask you to bless this study today. I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Well, one day up at the pearly gates, it was a day just like any other day. And they were processing people into the kingdom of God. And St. Peter got out and, out and spoke to the group, and he had his megaphone. He said, look, I want all the husbands to come forward. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I, I want all of you husbands who have been henpecked most of your life to get in this line to my right. And I want all of you husbands who have never been henpecked to get on this, in this line to my left. Well, they all scurried around, and when it was all said and done, in the line over here for the henpecked, I mean, it stretched on as far as the eye could see. I mean, there were thousands and thousands of husbands who had been henpecked most of their lives. I can name some names I saw in this vision, but I won't, I won't do it. But there was one guy in the non-henpecked line, chap, chap. And St. Peter looked pretty disgusted, and, and he said, you know, I just can't believe this this many men were henpecked all their life. But he was encouraged that there was one guy, a chap, who was in the, in the non-henpecked line. And so he went over to talk to chap, and, and he said to chap, he said, you know, he said, uh, how did so many of them end up in that line, and you ended up in this line? He said, I don't know about them, but all I can tell you is my wife, Lauren, told me to get in this line or else. <laughs> Now, we laugh, and I'm only kidding about Chap. <laughs> He's really not henpecked. <laughs> <You're laughs> <right. You're laughs> <very good. laughs> but there are a lot of husbands who are pecked. And there are a lot of women who are uh, what I will term rooster-pecked. Now, what do I mean by those terms? Well, hempecked means that the wife wears the pants. Now, I'm going to tell you something. I wear the pants in my, in my house. Brenda just tells me which one to wear. <laughs> but anyway, in a hen-packed home, the wife kind of rules the nest. Uh, she gives the orders, and uh, uh, she, she pretty much tells the husband what to do. And usually that situation exists. I'll tell you why, because the husband's afraid of his wife. You see husbands who are actually afraid of their wives? Well, there's also wives who are rooster-packed. And not only in that situation does the man feel that he's the head of the household, he's abusive to the wife. And he orders her around and he talks down to her. And she has no say in the affairs of the house. And and, uh, so she's, in all effect, effect rooster-pecked. Now, Peter is going to teach us today that neither hen-pecked nor rooster-pecked is the biblical model for marriage. You know, whenever a couple comes to me for counseling, and not many do, and i got to tell you, my record in counseling is pretty bad. Because what happens when people come to you for marriage counseling, usually their marriage is in really bad shape. And usually they're pretty hard-headed about the state they're in and they're not going to change, and so there's very little that I can do for them. But whenever they do come, I bring them to first Peter chapter three, because you could take that whole chapter there and you can apply it to marriage because Peter lays out this great plan for God's order for marriage. And, and, and usually, like I say, it doesn't work because you've got a wife who's trying to henpeck her husband, or you've got a husband who's trying to henpeck his wife, or they're both, they're both trying to peck each other and it's never going to work. And so, Uh, If you want to find fulfillment in your marriage, you've got to follow God's order. And he begins his order in verse number one. Look at what he says in verse number one. Now, wife, you might not like this. And this is not what I'm saying. And don't get mad at me if you don't like what I'm about to tell you here. Get mad at God or get mad at Peter if you want to. But this is what the word says. I'm going to read it literally. It says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. He's been talking about submission. So he says, Likewise, you be submissive to your husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word, without a word from you, may be won by the conduct of their wives. So that means, wives, that you're not to try to henpeck your husband. But let me warn you. That's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing for any of us to submit. And let me tell you why. Because we weren't created to submit. You realize we were created with to have dominion? We were created to rule. We weren't created to be uh, ruled by others. We were created to rule. That's the way God created us. That's the natural order of things. And that's why when the fall took place, In Genesis 3, you remember when God was giving the curses? Remember what he told the woman? It's very interesting what he says. I'll just, let me read it to you and kind of uh, translate it a little bit as I read. He says, Your natural desire will be to rule over your husband. In other words, your natural desire to be to henpeck him to the wall. That's going to be your natural desire. But but, uh, he will rule over you. Now, he will rule over you if you let him. He will rule over you because that's the order that I'm going to make the household. That's, I'm going to give him dominion over you. You're now living in a fallen world, and there's going to be all sorts of trouble and all sorts of tribulations, and decisions are going to have to be made. And so I'm going to give that decision-making, final decision-making authority to the husband. Now, that's God's order for things. And, uh, uh, you know, good luck on that in a lot of marriages. I mean, it's really hard for women to accept that. Mark Twain once was arguing for monogamy with a polygamist, and the polygamist said, you just show me one place in the Bible where it says you can't have two wives. Mark Twain said, that's easy. No man shall serve two masters. (laughs) Now, (laughs) that's funny. (laughs) And there's a lot of truth in that. (laughs) But the wife is not to be the master of the home. That's not the way it's set up. In God's order, she submits to the husband. Does that mean that the man is better than the wife? In biblical terms, in God's mind, is the man better than the wife? No, it doesn't mean that at all. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female. What he means by that, neither of those are greater than the others in the kingdom of God. We are all the same, and we are created equal in the kingdom of God. So you're not you're a wife is not a lesser creature. They submit to their husbands because they're submitting to God. Just like we're told to submit to governments. Even if we don't like that government, we're to submit to that government. If we have a boss, we're to submit to that boss. Even if we don't like that boss. Even if we don't like our husband, we're to submit meant to our husband because that's God's established order. And what we learned last week is this. When we follow God's established order for submission, we honor him. We honor him. And when we don't, we dishonor him. How do we honor him? Because first of all, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ submit? Did he submit any dominion? He had all dominion, and he gave that dominion up so he could die for you and me. And so he asked us to submit. And the other reason is that when, as I said last week, when we submit to others, we tell the Easter story. We show that Christ is alive in us because that's not the way of the world. Let me tell you what, wife submitting to your husband, that's not the way of the world. In fact, you will be scorned if you say, I'm going to submit to my husband. They will laugh you into the ground. They will will mock you if you say, man, I submit to my husband. Good, Go, go tell somebody that out there in the world. They will give you a really hard time because that's not the way of the world. And when you do that, you are different. You're showing that Christ is alive in you. And actually, Peter adds to that, Here, look at the last part of that verse, that you might even win your husband, your lost husband. Even though he's rooster-pecking you, you submit to him, and and you might win him because he sees a difference in you. You might win him without a word. Let me tell you what. The the people we win the most in this world to Jesus Christ, we don't win them with tracts. We don't win them by reciting verses. You know how we win them? By submitting. By submitting to the situation that God has placed us in and praising God in that situation. There's so much power and gratitude and praise. And when we're in a situation and we accept that situation because we believe in a sovereign God and we believe that he's placed us in that situation and we submit in that situation, we bear great witness to Jesus Christ. We had a couple when I lived in New Orleans and and you talk about a poor wife who was rooster pecked by her husband i mean he talked down to her all the time she came to church he didn't come to church he talked down he talked down to everybody but he really talked down to her he ordered her around he didn't let her have any affairs uh, i mean any say in the affairs of the household even though she was working and he was he was living on welfare she she wouldn't let him have any say in what they did. And I had a few encounters with that guy, man, and I, I wanted to punch him out. I mean, he was just that kind of, yeah, kind of mean-spirited, abusive person who talked, hated Christians, hated Christianity. But on Wednesday night, when our group got together to pray, we would pray for this man. And I, I made the statement, because I would heard some other pastor had done this, and, some of had said, would you, and somebody else had heard a pastor had done this, they so said, would you do this? I said, sure, if Bill gets saved. I said, I'll do it, and and what they they dared me to do was to preach on the top of the roof on Sunday morning if he got saved, and I said, I'll preach on top of the roof, and let me tell you what, our roof at that church was a lot higher than this roof, and I'm afraid of heights, but so I didn't have any, I didn't have any fear because I knew the guy wasn't going to get saved, even though I was praying for him to get saved, deep down inside, I said, you know, God, you can't save this guy, but you know, I watched that lady over the years, submit to this man, and continue to pray for this man. Every Wednesday night, every time we had church, even after I left, she would call me and tell me she's praying for him and ask me to pray for him. And they, when Hurricane Katrina came through, it, it blew down their house, or flooded their house, and they were forced to move to Houston. And uh, just a couple of years ago, she called me. And she said, I don't want you to know, Bill got saved. Bill got saved. Without a word, Bill got saved. Now, I'm glad I'd long gone from there. I don't know if I might have had to lie, because I don't know, I would have gotten up on that roof. I think I would have. I was excited to hear Bill got saved. Bill got saved, and just a couple of months after he got saved, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and he died just a few months later. She got him saved just in time. In God's time. You know how long that took her? That took her a lifetime of submission to see that man saved. And God saved him, but it was her witness over that time period that led him to the Lord. How did she get him saved? By badgering him and trying to get him to go to church, by handing him out tracts, by reading him scripture. By quoting scripture, no. She saved him by her witness, by her submission. Look at the next verse. He says, it is so that when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Now when he says fear there, he's, he's talking about respect. By your respect for God and your respect for your husband. When you're in an abusive situation, and I know some of you might be in that situation now where you have a husband who's abusive, and, and I would say to you, I mean, don't say a word. I mean, don't strike back. Chaste conduct is the conduct uh, that he's going to describe here in just a second. It's a quiet spirit. It's a humble spirit and accompanied by fear. That's how all of us witness. That's just not how... Wives witness to lost husbands. That's how we all witness to co-workers and to bosses and everybody else. It's with chaste conduct. It's with a humble spirit, a quiet spirit. Look at verses five, 3 and 4. It says, do not let your adoration be merely outward, arranging of the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Neither let it be the hidden person of the heart. No, rather, I'm sorry, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty, watch this, of a gentle and quiet spirit. You catch that? Which is very precious
1: in the sight of God. You, an evil woman,
0: can fix herself up really nice. And she can look like an absolute... Knockout. And then she opens her mouth. And she can't hide the fact that she's mean, self-centered, and loud. That that trumps any external beauty a woman might have. There's nothing more beautiful, nothing more beautiful than a woman who's soft-spoken, a woman who is gentle, and selfless, and not only is she beautiful to her husband or to other men, look at what it says there. It's precious in the sight of God. She's beautiful to God. A quiet, spirited, humble woman, not not some dummy. That's not what he's talking about there. Some woman who's smart enough to hold her tongue, some woman who's smart enough to be Humble and quiet. That is beautiful in the sight of God. That woman is beautiful in the sight of God. Listen to it. He name. He talks about some women like that. He says, for in this manner of former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, and as Sarah obeyed Abraham calling him Lord, whose daughters you are. Now, you, who is Sarah? She's the, she's the mother of faith. If you call Abraham the father of faith, she's the mother of faith. And you want to be a daughter of faith if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, let's see what he's talking about here. Who are the holy women that he's speaking of? You remember Ruth? I... I, I I challenge you to tell me some of the things Ruth said in the Bible. Stop and think for a minute some of the things she said. But let me ask you a question. You you won't think of many. Yeah, where you go, I'll go. That's one. But you won't think. She didn't say much. So you won't think of many things she said. But let me ask you a question. When you think of Ruth, do you think of an ugly woman or a beautiful woman? A beautiful woman, a very beautiful woman. I haven't seen any pictures of Ruth. We don't have any pictures of Ruth. How do we know she's beautiful? Because she had a quiet and she had a humble spirit, a submissive spirit. This beautiful spirit, man, she might have been as ugly as sin. We don't know that externally. But she, I doubt it. Boaz kind of kind of dropped everything he was doing when he saw her and, and uh, <laughs> he fell in love with her based upon that external beauty. So she probably was a very beautiful woman, but she was a quiet woman. She was a humble woman. I think of Rebecca. Man, what, what did Rebecca say in the Bible? Can you tell me some quotes of what Rebecca said in the Bible? When you think of Rebecca, do you think of a beautiful woman or an ugly woman? You think of a beautiful woman, Hannah. Don't you love Hannah? What a beautiful, loving woman Hannah was, a great woman a humble woman, a quiet woman, precious in the sight of God. And of course, Sarah. You know, Sarah, Sarah kind of had her days, i got to tell you. But she was a beautiful woman. She was so beautiful in her old age that all the pharaohs were trying to get her. You know, they were trying to get her in her, her, their hair. She was 80 years old, 60, 75 years old. She was an old woman. I mean, think, think of her. And then think of Jezebel. Think of Jezebel. Here was Jezebel. She was this abrasive woman, this domineering woman. Man, you talk about a guy in the henpeck line, Ahab would be at the front. That was the most henpecked man who ever lived at Ahab. Verse number six. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughter you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. What does he mean, if you do good and are not afraid of any terror? In other words, if you trust the Lord and you follow your husband, no matter where he leads you, and you aren't afraid. Now, your husband can lead you in some pretty bad places. Ask Brenda. But you follow your husband no matter what, not because so much you trust your husband, but who are you trusting? You're trusting the Lord. When you're submitting, you're trusting the Lord. One of my favorite all-time songs is a song, I guess because it kind I kind of fit in there to some degree, is, is that song by Charlie Rich, My Elusive Dreams and Schemes. You remember that song? Let me read you a few lines here. You followed me to Alabama, and things looked good in Birmingham but we didn't find it there, and so we moved on. You had my child in Memphis, and I heard about work in Nashville, but we didn't find it there, and so we moved on. To a small farm in Nebraska, to a gold mine in Alaska, but we didn't find it there, and so we moved on. I know you're tired of following my elusive dreams and schemes, for they are only fleeting things, my elusive dreams. Guys, any of you testify that you have a wife that's kind of followed you through your elusive <laughs> dreams and schemes? It's great to have a wife like that. Sarah was a wife like that. Why was she a wife like that? Because she trusted the Lord. You, you know... She left her home in Chaldea, and she followed him to Haran. She didn't find it there, and so they moved on to Canaan. You'd think they would have found it there, but they didn't find it there, and so they moved on. They moved down to Egypt, and they didn't find it there. All they found down there was trouble, and they moved on. And then back to Canaan. Was Sarah submissive to Abraham? You better believe she was. Not one time in the Bible do you hear her say, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. I'm leaving you if you go there. She never once said that. Yes, she was submissive. Yes, she uh, followed his directions. Yes, she let him lead. Does that mean that she was Abraham's doormat? No, Sarah was anything but Abraham's doormat. She could buck up and get mad and and tell him, hey, we ought not be doing this. She actually was, remember, she got tired of waiting for that child and she said, we need to have a child. You need to go into Hagar and have a child. Then she had the child and she had her own child and she said, you need to get rid of Hagar. You need to cast out that, that bond woman and her child. So she had a say in things, but overall, she submitted to Abraham, and in doing so, she submitted to God, and therefore she modeled uh, the role, or she she played the role, or modeled the role of a godly woman, a woman of faith. And then he says, look at what he says here, whose daughters you are, if you do likewise. And so if you're a wa- woman and you're determined to have it your way, you're certainly not modeling a model of faith. Now, women, you've had your turn. Let's talk about the husbands here for a minute. And listen to what it says here. It says, husbands, likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife, as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together. Now, you catch that, underline that if you're married. Heirs together. Catch that? Heirs together of the grace of life. The grace of life is a life that God gives you as born again believers. You're heirs together in that great life. That you're pr- Now guys, also you can underline this, that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, there's a lot of stuff there in that one verse. Look at what he says. He says, men, we're to give honor to our wives with understanding. Understanding what? Understanding that they are the weaker vessel. Now, you go out into the world and you tell people that the woman is the weaker vessel, then then, uh, you're going to get vilified. But I challenge you to take any woman in here and put her on the offensive line of the New Orleans Saints and see how long she lives. They are weaker. They're not built like men. There's some women who want to be built like men, don't get me wrong. And they do their best, and they want to dress like men and do all that kind of stuff. But that is not the way God's made women. He's made women as the weaker vessel. Now, I don't mean weaker spiritually or mentally by any means. In fact, my experience has been that most women are stronger than men spiritually and mentally. Maybe not mentally, that's hard to say. I mean, but certainly spiritually, I tell you, women have a, a lot more courage than men do. I've noticed a lot of men, especially in our weak society, our weakling society, this entitlement society we live in. It's a woman who's so strong sometimes. So I'm not putting women down here at all. But they are the weaker vessel, and you're not giving understanding of them as a weaker vessel. Giving honor to your wife. Now, when he says give honor to to your wife, let me tell you what he's doing there. Honoring your wife is a form of submission. You catch that, guys? Honoring your wife is a form of submission. When Paul approaches marriage in, in a very similar manner, over in the book of Ephesians, if you want to follow me there, go back a few books to the book of Ephesians, And go to chapter number
1: five. And
0: I I love how the translators who were men put these breaks in the chapters where they like to put them sometimes. There is no break in the chapter in Greek. There's no break at all. So actually, Paul picks up his discussion of marriage in verse number 21, now you're going to see a break there, but for this is one of those inconvenient truths. Men don't want to hear this, but look at verse number 21. What does it say there? In chapter 5 of Ephesians, it says, Submitting one to one another in the fear of God. I mean, submission is not just the wife's job. It's the man's job too. And I, actually, I'm going to tell you, the calling for the man is a lot higher than it is for the woman. That call of submission is a lot higher because God puts our call on the same level he put the call of Jesus Christ. You're going to see that. So we're to submit to one another in the fear of God. And let me tell you something. Let me just make a comment right here, you young couples that are here today. I have never seen a marriage fail In fact, I'll flip it around. I have never seen a marriage that wasn't full of joy and bliss where the husband and wife submitted their needs to one another. Whenever you see a husband who loves his wife more than he loves himself or a wife who loves her husband more than herself, that marriage is going to work. And when both of them are doing that, you're going to have joy and you're going to have bliss. Now, that's a real simple formula. And if you were to come to me for wedding counseling, that's exactly what I would show you. Most people, you know what you hear? Wife says, I ain't submitting to him. The husband says, she better submit to me. In other words, I'm going to rooster peck her. And she says, I'm going to hen peck him. And marriages won't work like that. That's not the biblical model of marriage. Look Look, man, what we're told. First of all, wives, again, we'll go back to you. Verse number 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Do you get that? I mean, do you love the Lord? You submit to the Lord? You treat your husband the same way. Guys, it's going to get tougher on us, so don't don't get all excited here. (laughs) For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Now, that's the way God set it up. In an army, you appoint generals, you appoint colonels, you you appoint privates. In the marriage... God appoints the husband as the head of the household. And now jump down to, for he is, and he is savior of both. Now jump down to verse number 25. Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave, catch that tall order. Love your wives as Christ also loved the church. Wow and gave himself for her. How did he give himself for her? He totally turned himself over and allowed anything in this world to be done for him for the for the sake of the church. For the, us, he did that. And he calls us husbands to do the same for our wives. Why is Jesus the head of the church? Because he submitted his needs to ours. Husband, how do you get the right to be the head of the the household because you submit your wife's needs to your own and you honor your wives, And that's a really tall order. I mean, why in the world does a husband do that? I'll tell you why, because go back to first Peter, look at back at first Peter. Why would God want us to do that? Why in the world would God want me to love my wife and give myself to her as Christ gave himself For the church. Well, look at verse, go back and look at that verse, because you are joint heirs together in this life. Now, now stop and think about that. You're joint heirs in all the blessings of this life if you're married. You share those blessings together. There's a great saying happy wife, happy life. You want to make your wife unhappy? You want to abuse your wife and treat your wife without honor? You know who's going to pay for it? You are. You're going to pay for it. You're going to have an unhappy life. And and in America, what do we do when, when it gets unhappy? We just run out and we get a divorce. But in God's order, he says, no, we're to submit to one another. You're to honor the wife. And you're going to make her happy because you're joint heirs with her in life. Let me ask you something. How long is life
1: once you become a Christian? Forever.
0: Forever. Jesus said, Whosoever believes in me shall never die. You've been given the abundant life. You've been given the eternal life. So you're joint heirs in eternal life. Let me ask you another question. If there had not been a fall, how long were Adam and Eve created to live? Forever. Who put them together? God put them together. What God put together, let no man put asunder. So how long were they created to be married for? Forever. Forever. And if God has put you together with your wife, you've been created as joint heirs in eternal life with her. I believe that means I'm going to be with my wife forever. Now, some of you are saying, oh, Lord, don't let that happen. Please don't let that happen. No, I see some of you guys looking down. No, I'm not even looking at you. I'm looking straight down at that thing because I don't want to see that. But you know what? I can't imagine
1: heaven without my wife with me forever.
0: I can't imagine that. Now, I know for some guys that would be hell. But that's heaven to be. That's part of heaven. No, we won't procreate in heaven. The Bible says that. But some people take that to mean you're not going to be married forever. I believe you'll be with your wife forever. That's what I believe. If you don't want to be, obviously, that wouldn't be heaven, so you will probably won't have to be. But we were created to be joint heirs forever. What's a joint heir? They share in the inheritance. They share in the inheritance forever.
1: So, husband, you should give honor to your wives.
0: You're going to be with her a long time. And if we don't give honor to our wives, look at what it says there in the last part of that verse. Your prayers will be hindered. You, you give honor so that your prayers will won't be hindered so you, it reverse that if you don't give honor to your wife your prayers will be hindered i'm going to tell you what i know that for a fact i know that for a fact you 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 get down to go to pray i mean i don't me and my wife don't f- f- fight very often but on the few occasions where we have i've gotten down to pray and and I, all of a sudden, that verse starts blinking in, in neon lights. Your prayers are hindered. Your prayers are hindered. God, I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to listen to you until you go get things right with your wife. So you're wasting your time praying. Just like he told Joshua to get up. You're wasting your time to praying. He tells me, the Lord tells me, if I'm arguing with my wife, he says, get up. You're wasting your time praying. Go get things right with your wife. Well, that's her fault, Lord. I don't care whose fault it is. You go get it right. You're the head of the household. You asked for that position, you got it. It's tough on guys. But you, you argue and fight with your wife, and you, you dishonor your wife, and you abuse your wife. I can tell you right now, your prayers are going to be hindered. You're wasting your time praying to the Lord. Wives, well, I would say that's probably reverse for you too, but usually it's the guy who, who causes the problem. That's been my experience. And so we want our prayers. We want God to hear our prayers. And so we honor our wives. You know what? Let me make a comment here.
1: Over the, in my experience
0: of observing marriages over the years, if a wife is loved and honored by her husband, she has no problem submitting to him if that woman is cherished by her husband she has no promise I mean no problem submitting to him and if she's refusing to submit my observations usually tell me her husband's treating her like a dog That's usually, usually when a wife's rearing up and fighting with her husband and and, and trying to henpeck her husband, it's because her husband treats her like a dog. You treat your wife like a dog, I, 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 mean, I wouldn't expect them to submit. And, and uh, that takes a noble woman to submit in a situation like that, a very noble woman. But that's precious in the sight of God when she does. Listen, if a husband is honoring his wife, and loving his wife as Christ loved the church, she would be foolish not to submit. Because whose needs are, is he putting above his own needs? Her needs. And so by submitting to what he's doing, she's only lifting herself up. So she would be foolish not to submit. Now, let me make another comment. Does this submission thing mean that the man makes all the decisions in the home. No. Let me ask you a question. Who makes the decisions in a Christian home? Christ does. Jesus does. And my experience in my marriage is, if that we're both praying to the same God, he's not going to tell her we need to do something and tell me we need to do something else. And so if you're submitting your Decisions to the Lord, you're never going to have a decision, an argument over a decision because you're both going to be in agreement if you're both praying about it. And if you're praying about it together, I guarantee you you're not going to end up in an argument because God's not up there to cause confusion. And so whenever people tell me, well, my wife's saying I ought to do this and I'm thinking I ought to do that, are you praying with her? Have you prayed about this together? Because God's not going to tell you one thing and tell her something else.
1: Years ago, we had a couple in our church and
0: they came to me for counseling. And and I don't know if any of y'all know this couple yet. Most of y'all weren't here, but a few of you might. So don't try to guess who it is. Uh, But they came to me for counseling. And it did take 15 minutes of course, I already knew, but it didn't take 15 minutes of talking to them to know exactly what their problem was. She was trying to henpeck him, and he was trying to rooster peck her. He wanted to dominate it. He said the biblical model in his mind was that the husband is lord over the household, that the husband's not lord over anything. We are servants. All of us are servants to Jesus Christ. We serve one another. And, and, and who's, the greatest, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The greatest servant. Who's the greatest husband? The one who serves his wife the most. So you take this attitude, husband, that like this husband did, that, that it, you know, I'm lord over my household. I'm, I'm king over my household, and I want her to do what she wants, what, what I want her to do. Not what she wants, but what I want her to do. And if she doesn't do it, she's not following the biblical model. And I try to explain to them that. That's not the biblical model. Now, she was just as bad. She said, I'm not submitting to him. I'm not going to submit to him on any terms. I don't, he doesn't deserve for me to submit to him. And in some way, she was right. She said, I'm not submitting to this man. I don't believe in submission. I said, well, it's in the Bible. And let me show you. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not going to submit to him. What was she saying? I don't care what God says. And you know what I told them? I said, guys, I'm not wasting any more time with y'all. That's why I don't do very good wedding counseling. (laughs) I said, if if, if this is where you're landing right here, we're not going any further. Because I'm not wasting my time. I got better things to do. And if you're not willing to submit to the biblical model for marriage, we're wasting our time and you can read all the self-help books and marriage counseling books and everything you want to read, and until you're ready to come to the basics and follow the basics, you can forget it. it's not going to work. In a biblical marriage, neither spouse feels pecked at all. Neither feels dominated or lorded over by the other. The husband and wife live in perfect, Liberty, in the right marriage. They're both free. The wife freely submits to the husband because the husband is freely giving her honor. That's how it works. And they do it freely unto the Lord. There's
1: one word for all of that. What is it? Love. They love each other.
0: And they love the Lord. And I'll tell you what, no marriage works until you love the Lord until you submit to the Lord. And if you love the Lord and you submit to the Lord, following a biblical pattern for marriage is really easy. Really easy. I know some of you are sitting here, what has this got to do with me? Well, let me tell you what, that's, that pattern is for all of us. God hasn't called any of us to peck on other people. You know, you see it in churches, you see it in, in society, Everybody trying to get ahead and rule over somebody else. Chuck Smith said it perfectly right. You put a guy in charge of a lamppost and he becomes a tyrant. And that is so true. Everybody who gets any kind of position, it goes to their head, and they want to dominate other people. Not serve other people, they want to dominate other people. God's called us to serve one another in love. That's the biblical pattern. And that requires that we all submit our needs to the needs of others. It's just that simple. And when we do that, you talk about being different from the world. We're different from the world. And people see that. And you know what? They can mock it and they can scorn it. But deep down inside, they want that kind of character too. And it only comes through. Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we again, we just thank you for your great word and this great book in 1 Peter and for these great lessons on submission. Lord, I, the first area of submission is to get on our face and submit our lives to you. All of us need to do that. If there's someone who hasn't done that today, Lord, let the day be the day of their salvation, the day where they throw aside their pride and they look to Jesus to save them from their sins they humble themselves before their God before their creator Lord and then things like marriage and things like work and things like living in a fallen society and submitting to governments those things become easy Lord because they become who we are in Jesus Christ Father, I just thank you for the changes you've made in our lives. I thank you for my marriage, and I thank you for the gift of a Christian marriage. Just how wonderful it is to to live daily in love with the one you've made my joint heir forever. I just, I just, I pray that for everyone that their marriages are full of bliss and joy. That they see their marriages as you see their marriages. That. Lord, you want everybody to be happy and fulfilled in marriage. It shouldn't be a war, Lord. It should be a place of peace and joy. You've shown us how to make it that way, Lord, and help us to follow your pattern of submission. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for submitting for us to the death on a cross. We thank you. In your precious name I pray.
1: Amen.